Hey, we've been in the book of Ephesians, so I want to invite you to open your Bibles there, your Bible app there, so you can uh, track along. Um, it's always good to see God's Word in its context and see that we're not making things up here. We want to take what we're preaching and, and pull it right out of the text of Scripture and, and proclaim that to you with confidence because it's God's Word that changes hearts. It's God's Word that, uh, through the power of the Spirit, works uh, renewal in our lives, um, transforming work in our hearts. And so we want to be uh, hearing it and we want to be seeing it also, also helps us uh, remember better. But uh, we are in the second sort of section of Ephesians right now, chapter one, I should say the second section of chapter one, but um, uh, the, the, this is the second of Paul's long sentences and it's a prayer and it's the first of two prayers in Ephesians. And it's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. Now, you may remember that we said in the in the first couple weeks of Ephesians that the first uh, Ephesians is often broken up into two sections uh, or, or divided into two main sections. The first three chapters are um, what are called indicatives. An indicative is a statement of truth or even a statement presented as truth. Um, so I could make a statement presented as truth that actually might not be true, right? So I could say that this Bible is a, has a red cover. I'm making an indicative statement, even though the Bible is not actually read. But an indicative is a statement, a, a statement presented as truth. In this case, they are all true. So let's just clarify that. Paul is making fantastic statements about God and who God is and things that we have in Christ that in chapters 4, 5, and 6 are fleshed out into imperatives, which are commands for how we are to live. In other words... Knowing that this is true about God and knowing that this is true about you because it's what God says is true about how God works in us, now you are to live in this way. And that would be chapters 4, 5, and 6. But it would be wrong for us to make the mistake that when we see these indicative statements, it means there's not application. What we want to do as Christians is read all of Scripture, see what it says about God, what it says about mankind, and personally how it applies to me. What aspects of these indicative statements that we are reading about, that we are striving to understand, do I need to believe with my whole heart? Not because I feel it or don't feel it, but because God says it's true. And so we use God's word through the power of his Holy Spirit to renew our thinking. Romans 12 says, don't be transformed to the world. I'm sorry, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind so that you might test and approve what God's perfect will is. And so that's what we want to do as we look at, uh, at Ephesians this morning. Just some quick review from last week, because this week is very much connected to last week's message. We are to pray, verses 15 through the beginning of 19, Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And he says, he tells them, I pray, I thank the Lord for you. And he says, we are to pray that God was, God's people would help him, I'm sorry, that God would help his people know him more fully. Pray that God would know him more fully. All right, so some quick review here. Parents, how do you pray for your children? I, I would encourage you, rather than to pray for better behavior, more obedience, uh, a desire to serve you by doing the dishes, I, I would encourage you to pray that your children would A, know him, and B, that they would know him fully. Spouses not sure how to pray for one another? Pray that your spouse would know God more fully. 
realize everything that he or she has in Christ. Not married or thinking about other people in the church, I I would implore you, pray that our church family would know God fully. And we do this by thanking God for one another, right? We thank God that He has given us faith in order to thrive in this world. He, he gives us faith that allows us to thrive in this world, and that is worth thanking God for. Because it's God who works salvation in us, and so we give thanks to the Lord for that. For those that we, we don't know if they're uh, believers or not, we pray that God would work that in their heart and that they would come to believe, We want to secondly ask for growth in wisdom for one another. God, would you give give them wisdom to grow in the knowledge and understanding of who you are? And this uh, is in three ways. Number one, that we would understand the hope to which God has called us, that we would understand the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, uh, and that we would understand, which we'll, we'll unpack this today and look at this more today, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Those are his three kind of bullet points on what we would know about the power of God. So this is how we want to be praying for one another. Uh, We're going to unfold this third prayer request or this third detail of this prayer request. And uh, one of the things that's beautiful is Paul goes to telling the church, I'm praying for you. Here's what I'm praying for you. And then uh, toward the end of this, he just sort of, uh, it's like a gradient or like a fade. He fades into this doxology. And I'll tell you that one of the things that will be a great strength to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, is if we grow and we become accustomed to, uh, to speaking specifically, not in generalities, that's important, but specifically about the attributes of God in our conversations one another, with one another, you will find yourself praising God more frequently, right? Rather than just saying, oh, God is wonderful, isn't he? Yes, he is. Well, how is God wonderful, right? It doesn't mean that every conversation is a sermon, but what I will tell you is you will, uh, according to even Psalm 103, you'll preach to yourself, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's not Psalm 103. Um, I'll go back to Ephesians 1 right there. But so, so Paul is praising the Lord, and then he prays for them, and at the end of the prayer, he just sort of fades into this doxology, this praise. So Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, there it is, and all that is within me, bless your holy name. And so as we speak about God to our own hearts, to one another, we will find ourselves praising the Lord more because we get encouraged and excited as we're talking about the Lord. So with that in mind, let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to to broaden our vision and understanding who he is and how he works in our lives. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, because we are fearfully and wonderfully made and you've made us to desire to know you more. Uh, And in our sin, we have walked away from you. We We, as those who are both born in sin and readily choose our sin, uh, we uh, we don't naturally follow after you. And uh, and so, Lord, uh, I pray that you would work in each of our hearts this morning and that you would draw our hearts to you. A lot of things in this world that are distractions to us, a lot of significant, important things going on in our lives and in our hearts with our families and friends and and maybe church family this morning. And, And we want to be able to be focused on the things that you have for us. Because they, this informs and helps us be encouraged in how to handle all of the many things that may be a distraction this morning. So, Father, would you help us? Would you help us to focus? Would you help us to see the glorious riches of who you are? And may that 
encourage us in our living. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God's great power is working in you so that we will bring him glory. God's great power is working in you so that we will bring him glory. God has engineered the body of Christ to function in such a way that there is uh, an individual component that is always intended to contribute to the collective thriving of a local body of church and the capital C corporate church around the world. This is a, this is a, a you or a me and we lifestyle for living. And so it would be wrong for us to hear about what we're hearing this morning and, and, and do anything but think, how does God want to direct my life personally through what I'm hearing and being convinced of according to God's word this morning? If we are to hear any sermon and think, well, this is for someone else, I don't have to make application to this. You are hurting the body of Christ by your omission, your sin of omission of failing to really apply the things that we're learning. And this is important for us because the book of Ephesians is focused on the fact that God has unified everything in Christ. We are one in Christ. And the more this book begins to unfold, the more this letter to this church begins to unfold, there are some very direct statements that Paul makes about how we are to grow up, every one of us, into Christ. And so that begins uh, even now. So this morning we're going to see that um, Paul prays that they would understand the greatness of God's power and that they and we would understand the greatness of God's person. In verses 19 through 21, he prays that they would understand the greatness of God's person. And as I'm getting to read this now, I'm wondering, I don't know if I actually maybe forgot to put those scripture slides in or not. So if I I don't know if I did. Are they up there, the scripture slide? We're good. Okay, great. All right, good deal. Ephesians 1, chapter 15. For this reason, because I have heard of the faith, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, might, which he worked in us when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is praying that we would understand the, the, the greatness of God's power. This word power in the Bible is, is uh, dunami, which is the word from which we get dynamite uh, or dyna, dynamo, right? This is that word, this powerful word, this explosive power of who God is. He's saying that God's power is immeasurably great. You see, this is the difference between speaking about generalities of God and explicit 
truthful statements about the attributes of God. God's power is immeasurably great. The greatness of God's power goes beyond all we could ever want or need. Just just let that soak in for a moment. Because in our lives, we often think that we want or need something more or something other than what God has given us. But God says right here in his word through the Apostle Paul that God's great power is immeasurable. Which means if he hasn't given you power toward something specific right now, that apparently you don't need it right now in this moment. That it's all available to us as we live this Christian life. Sometimes we have to take hold of the things that God has given given us. Sometimes we have to wait as we wait to see how God will supply for us. But this is an immeasurably great power. Uh, this winter, I took the boys to a, uh, a winter retreat, a father and son uh, retreat, and we had a great time. And, uh, and one, uh, one of the, with the speakers that was there was a professional archer. And, um, and in the cold dead of winter, he shot a 100-yard bullseye, uh, on a t- well, obviously to a target. And, uh, right? and so he took three shots, and on his third shot, he hit it, and he dialed it in differently a little bit after the first shot and then the second shot. Uh, and he was adjusting his height and how much, you know, all this sort of stuff, which I don't know about, so I'm going to stop talking about it. But, but it was pretty neat to see. But I'll tell you what would happen if he were just to pull back with all of his might, which he did, and then just raise his direction just a little bit. That arrow would have shot far beyond that target. We need to think about God's immeasurable or surpassing greatness as an archer who would shoot a shot, but in the omnipotence of God, the all-powerful attribute of God, that it would keep on going forever and ever and ever because God is all-powerful. His power is never exhausted. It's not stopped by a target, even if he hits the target dead on, which he would every time, by the way. But God's power is immeasurable. It is surpassing According to every human measurement, it's extraordinarily, it's extraordinarily great. It's exceedingly great. And there is no end to his greatness. That right there is reason for us to celebrate God for all of eternity because of his power. Let alone anything else that we begin to understand about God. That one attribute. God, you are exceedingly and abundantly great. He is omnipotent and all-powerful. God's immeasurably great power is toward those who believe, toward us who believe. Now, this is important because as we talk to, to friends, as you talk to family members about, uh, about church or about the Lord, it's important to understand that God's exceedingly great, immeasurably great power is toward those who believe. God's power for everything is not for everyone in the world. It's to those who, it's directed toward those who trust in the name of Jesus. And so before telling everyone, oh, God will give you power, you can do this. We say, come to Christ. And when you do, you will be able to do everything that God has called you to do. Salvation is the starting point for those who would be recipients of all of God's power toward those who believe. 
right? So a, a biblical understanding of this, which always uh, needs to include application, right? Paul is praying that they would know these things about God. This is both a, a cognitive head knowledge as well as a knowledge that grows by application. When we apply God's word and we find it to be true, which we will, we know this more. So there's two ways of thinking about knowing, and it means both in this sense. God uses his power to bring us into the glorious inheritance in the saints that he speaks about in verse 18. God doesn't just save us and then leave us to see how we'll do. Uh, he doesn't sit back and, and try to watch you struggle with life and say, oh, I've got all this power available to them. Let's see how they do. No, God works in you to open your eyes, to bring you to an understanding of the gospel. And in so doing, he gives you, he works toward you. He applies his great immeasurable power toward you to then be able to apply every spiritual discipline in the scriptures. Now, there's a partnership in this, and we'll get to that. There's a mutual working together in this. But God has supplied everything that you need. Everything that I need. We have a new litter of rabbits at the house, and um, we've got 10 babies at home. And, and as they are growing, they're getting a little bit cuter, and uh, they're really super cute right now. Um, I, we don't want to keep them, so don't, don't get me wrong there. But um, So we're cute, and then we're going to find new homes for them, Lord willing. But um, when you have new animals, not to mention like actual new babies, right, uh, there's a sense in which we uh, are, are uh, all of the power that's at work in us is applied to keeping them healthy, helping them grow, helping them learn how to eat, helping them learn how to figure out what, you know, what to do with life, helping them figure out, supplying them food, supplying them uh, milk or water at times, right? Often that naturally comes from the mother, but we supply a, a, a shelter for them to live in. We supply boundaries that would keep them safe as they're beginning to grow. And then we, we replenish, right? We change out their, their um, sleeping areas and we just, it depends on what kind of animal you're talking about, but you change things out and then you apply your power to giving them what they need. And then as they begin to grow, you adjust what you're giving them. You've had this power all along to put uh, food for a six week old in there as opposed to a one week old in there, but you're adjusting what you're giving them according to what their need is. The power is there all along. How cruel would it be if as they're weaned, we would then begin to get them hooked on this food and then begin to pull that away. But isn't that how we often view the Lord? Oh Lord, you're all powerful, but why would, I know you won't give it to me. Oh Lord, I know you're all powerful. I believe this truth about you, but why would you give that to me? Or we say, Lord, you have given this to me before. Why are you taking this away from me? Brother and sister, God gives you, God has directed all of his immeasurable power toward those who believe. And when our power, our power is speaking, going back to my illustration here, when our power, when our wisdom is applied to caring for these little animals, what will happen? They'll grow. Why? Because it's their nature. It's their nature to eat the food placed in front of them. It's their nature to drink the water that's around them or to eat the grass that's near them. It is their nature to grow. Brothers and sisters, it is our spiritual, supernatural nature to grow in Christ. God doesn't shield us from his great power. It is the immeasurable greatness of God's power that it's not simply available, but it is working toward those 
who believe. And as it works toward us, as it has worked toward us, we will grow because it's our new nature. According to 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone, not the special Christians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And Paul continues here in verse 19, the last part of 19, according to the great working of his might. Now, Paul's goal, and I hope you're hearing this, Paul's goal is to instill confidence in Christians. He's not propping them up and saying, you can do it. As much as he's looking heavenward and saying, he has done it. He has done it. And his power is working toward you according to his great might. This idea of something working, the Greek word energy, it's the idea of, of, of energy. Energy, if you're in this conversation much, energy works toward something. Energy works toward us who believe. It's a working power. It's the energizing force of the Spirit of God that empowers believers to live for the Lord. You see, sometimes we, we believe that we become a Christian and then we need to figure this out on our own. That is the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel is both for salvation and the gospel is for everyday living to follow and worship and love the Lord Jesus. Now we can sidetrack ourselves, but it's not because God is withholding from us his power or that which we need. Listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones comments on it. He points out there's a logical flow here. He says, he speaks first of energy, a, a power in action. And then he says that it comes from a force which is irresistible, which in turn comes from the ocean of God's might, the eternity of God's illimitable power. Nothing, no one, or no space will limit the power of God. And notice here that Paul doesn't pray that believers would have this power. He prays that they would understand that they have this power according to God's greatness. The immeasurable greatness of God's power, of God's kindness. This is where I was talking about earlier. I said, there, you know, there's a, there's a mutual partnership in this. Uh, Paul talks about it in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's our part. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works power and action in you, both to will and to work for his Good pleasure. Sometimes that's where the hiccup comes in life. Uh, we would prefer that it would be God's pleasure to do life according to our plans. Don't we? And when God doesn't do life according to our plans, we like to take uh, a side road. And then we discover, oh, I, I'm not walking in accordance with God's will. And therefore, I don't have the favorable, active power working to move me in this direction. Now, 
don't misunderstand and hear me to say that I don't have God's power, but God's loving power or God's working power acting in love will at times prevent you from going too far down your own road. Or we just keep driving into these dead ends, into these deserts. Or we'll recognize that this is a purposeful direction that the Lord has for us to teach us more about who he is. Your sickness, it's not a dead end road. It is not without purpose. Your financial troubles are not without purpose, but God would want to teach you more of who he is. The the friendship challenges that you might have in life, the struggles that we often experience at, at church. Why? Because we're all humans struggling with sin, struggling to understand each other better. All of these things are working. God is using, he's working them. Uh, for a purpose that he knows and that he's working in our lives. But we're to cooperate with God in this process and and work it out with fear and trembling, with honor, respect for the Lord, and a desire to go after what the Lord would have us do. And this is manifested. God's surpassing power that is working toward those who believe is manifested in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't mention the cross here. I think it's maybe because the cross speaks about how God has, 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 well, he's already spoken about it, but at this particular point, Paul is talking about the power of God that is working toward helping us in our godly living. He's saying, Father, I pray that they would know this in their minds and their hearts, that they would believe it's true and that they would work it out in their lives. The resurrection speaks of the the exaltation of Jesus at the right hand of God, which is Christ's victory applied to us as we live this life. So point of application here for you. Many who profess to be Christians aren't living in accordance with God's might. Many are not living in accordance with God's light. They think that um, uh, they seem content to understand the world's way of describing our problems or difficulties. And the Lord wants to keep drawing us back to his word, drawing us back to the word to say, listen, here's where the heart issues are. Know me. Let me reveal what's going on in your heart to you. And I'll give you the power that I already have to either heal you through something or or help you to endure something with joy. It's not always God's will to deliver us from something. It's often God's will to give us joy. Patience with joy as we endure something. Why? So that the world sees the surpassing greatness of God as we live with joy in the midst of our trials. But let me ask you a question as you seek to understand whether or not you see God's power at work in your life. Do I see, uh, do I have new life in Jesus Christ? First question. Do I have new life in Jesus Christ? And I would urge you not simply to look back to a date or time where you prayed a prayer or a date and a time where you got baptized. Because if you have to look to that to see whether or not you have new life in Christ, it should raise some other questions in your mind. Where I once was dead in my sins and my trespasses, where I once was a slave to sin, am I now alive to God through his resurrection power? 
We're not saying, have you gone from being a sinner to being perfect? We're saying, do you recognize where the desires of your heart used to be for the world and for the things of the world and the things that the world celebrates? And now your desires are transformed to be the things that God loves, that God celebrates, that God calls us to. If you still have all the same want to's, you may not be alive in Christ. In fact, I challenge you on it. But I don't know your heart. And that's the beauty of praying this Psalm 139 prayer where we say, Lord, search me and know my heart. Test me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. But even a believer was praying that prayer. And so we say, Lord, yes, I see new desires in my heart, new want to's in my heart. And I want more. I want more of you. At times, we're all tempted to doubt. And so we need to be careful not to, not to give into or become despondent because we have different expectations of the Lord and our spiritual growth than maybe even the Lord has for us in this season of our life. I would encourage us, all of us, not to, not to feel, think, believe, and act out of insecurity or, or forsaken or like we're powerless to overcome the things that God puts before us, right? It's the same unlimited divine power that raised Jesus from the dead, that will raise us from the dead. And it is the same power that seated Jesus Christ in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father that will seat us in heaven to worship him for all of eternity. Paul breaks out into this praise in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able, power, who is able, power at work, to do immeasurably or abundantly more than all we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. Secondly, we want to understand the greatness of God's person. The greatness of God's person, which is who God the Father is, God the Son is, and God the Holy Spirit is. Jesus was exalted with all power and authority. He alludes to a couple passages in, in Psalms. Psalm 110.1, which says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Or Psalm 8.6, you have given him, Jesus, dominion over all of the works of your, on, of your hand, and you have put all things under his feet. That, to put, put somebody in, at the right hand is to afford them all honor and all privilege, all authority. In the Old Testament, it symbolizes victory. It symbolizes uh, the position of favor and it symbolizes power. And Jesus victoriously has all of these things. Why? Because the immeasurable power of God worked to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him at his right hand. Paul's point is that is the same power that is at work in you. This ought to excite us. This ought to be encouraging to us. This ought to help you say, you know, there are sins that I have given up on, on focusing on, but now I'm going to take up the mantle of walking in faith again. I'm going to apply my faith to believing on the power of God according to his word. And I'm going to strive to flesh it out. To work it out with, with fear and with trembling. Jesus was given all dominion and authority and power. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Corinthians 15, 27 says, For God has placed all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that he 
is accepted, who put all things under, I'm sorry, who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, we're still talking about the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy spirit. Jesus has not been exalted to a position over someone else in the Godhead with three persons that we believe in three persons in one God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. So Jesus was made also head over all things to the church so that we will properly represent Christ on earth. So when we, when I said at the beginning that, uh, that, um, God's great power is working in you. Why? So that you will bring him glory. Jesus has made head over all things to the church so that as we pursue him, as we walk in him, as we grow in him, remember, there's an individual and a corporate component to everything that Paul is talking about here. So when we say as we, what I mean is if I had time to walk around the room and just name every person, right? As Matt applies these truths, and as every believer in this room applies these truths, we, remember me and we, will properly represent Christ here on earth. And what does that do? Well, that glorifies the Lord. That brings glory to him. So let me ask you a couple questions in closing. What are some evidences that you've experienced God's mighty power in salvation? When someone asks you, how are, are you a Christian or, or do you believe that you're a Christian? What is it that you point to? Well, certainly you could point to good works and good works can be done without faith as well. Are you seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, helping you to, number one, continually seek? And sometimes that involves two steps forward, one step back. We understand that. But do you have new want-tos? Do you desire to glorify God? Or are you continuing to live for yourself? Well, you might, you might notice that if coming to church on a regular basis feels like a burden. If it, if it equates the same level of value of other things in your life, well, I probably should go a couple times a month rather than, oh, I've been called to come and, and consider how I might Build up the body of Christ, how I might uh, encourage one another toward love and good deeds. This is our calling. This is our joy to, to be growing in Christ together. And, and if the work of the ministry is, is a burden to you, I would ask you to consider that in your heart. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. The question is just, do you, are, you, are, are you experiencing increasing want-tos, new desires that align with God in his word. How would you talk with a person who was living a, a worldly life and in conversation with them say, well, I know I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus, but, but you're, you're not seeing evidence of visible fruit. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, we're not supposed to judge, which is a whole nother series, not just a sermon, a whole nother series. We are called to evaluate one another's fruit, to help one another grow up in Christ. God doesn't call us to become a Christian and then stay babies. Wouldn't it be weird if we just continued growing up and had diapers our entire life?
I've seen a lot of laughs for a lot of different reasons right now. God says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. And then he says, start drinking the milk of the word. And then he says, everyone goes from drinking milk to eating meat eventually. That's what we're called to do. To grow up into him who is the head. That comes from Ephesians 4, which we'll get to in a couple months. When we think about God's saving power at work in us, sometimes we think about special things, acts of miracles. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, well, some of you come to me, you say, Lord, Lord, right? You've done the acts, you've done the behaviors, you've even seen some crazy things going on in your life, but I don't know you. And Paul's prayer is, Father, help them know the greatness of your immeasurable power toward those who believe. Christian, there is no way to know it, only in our minds. The, the, the word know in the word speaks of an intimate relational knowledge. My prayer is that this message would encourage you. If right now you're feeling a a weight of, of guilt or shame that you're not doing something that you know you need to be doing, well, allow that to be seen by your heart as loving conviction from the Spirit of God. But not a conviction that would just uh, weigh down how you feel about yourself. You see, the more you try to deny it or excuse it or shift the blame, you will continue to feel that way. But when you, as 1 John says, confess your sins, confession is simply agreeing with God. God, you're right. I'm in sin and I'm sorry. You've saved me to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've been called. And I want to return to you. There's not one sinner who will pray that. There's not one saint who will pray that and be denied by the Lord. And so if you're feeling that this morning, it's the Spirit of God working in your heart. So accept it. Confess it to the Lord and say, Father, tomorrow, or in fact, in the next hour, today, I want to walk in obedience. I want to know more of this power that's mine in Christ. And I'll trust you for it. One moment at a time. It's made very visible to us as we look at the body and the blood of Christ, which are given to us. Why? As a reminder a very practical reminder that God in heaven gave, didn't create, gave his son to live a perfect righteous life so that we can take hold of the things that Jesus has taken hold of for us. Walking in righteousness. Christian, you're able. You have all of God's power at your disposal. Let's remember well this morning And let's commit by God's grace to use the means that God has given us, his word, the body of Christ, the spirit of God, to walk in faith, to live for his glory in everything that we do. Let's pray. Father.
we all would maybe confess something similarly that we struggle with uh, differing beliefs at times about how well we're doing or why we're not doing well or, or, or blaming someone else or shifting the responsibility or minimizing the things that you've called us to. But the reality is that you've called us to wonderfully great things. And, and the reason you've called us to wonderfully great things is because it is your engineering plan for the body of Christ to show the world what a wonderful God you are. That you are a God who saves, a God who redeems, a God who empowers believers for Christian living. We're not intended ever to go it alone. And so, Father, we ask you to help us this morning to identify how we need to apply this truth to our life. But after we believe you, after we take you at your word, worshiping you and praising you specifically for who you are. Because that's the fuel we need. That's what gives us joy for those who have transformed hearts. Father, if there's someone in this room that's been doing religion a long time or a short time, I pray that you would convince them that their religion is dead. I pray, Father, that you would grip their heart and bring them to new life through repentance and faith. A work that you've worked in them according to your great power. Be glorified, Father, we pray, as we seek you together. In Jesus' name, amen.